the Book Us Podcast. Now a part of the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed. Welcome in everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you the first episode of Buck Off in sort of a new life in a way. We're starting off with SB Nation's Land Grant Holy Land affiliate. So make sure you're not only listening to my show from here on out, but you're listening to the rest of that feed as well. Uh, I've got quite a few talented people joining forces to try to build up that podcast feed. It's exciting. We've got my show, Buck Off, as you many of you might have listened to before. Some of you haven't, so I'm going to introduce myself again. I am Christopher Rennie. Uh, I'm an Ohio State graduate. I love Ohio State football, but I really do try to bring an objective perspective, not to rhyme right away, but it's exciting. Uh, we're deep into the offseason now. Spring practice is even over, but I'm here with Matt Tam and Nini. Uh, I'll make sure I said that right, Matt. Yeah, that works. But I'd like to bring you in for an introduction to the buck off. Uh, the listenership that I've built up so far. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. So I've been um, with Land Grant Holy Land now for, it's getting close to five years, um, and I've been uh, one of the managing editors now on and off for about three years. And uh, if you listen to the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed, you hear me in there quite a bit. Um, so we're really excited to be teaming with you, Chris. Like This is uh, a really cool opportunity for both of us. And like you said, we've just recently launched a uh, whole new slate of podcasts in the Land Grant Holy Land feed with a bunch of new voices, a bunch of new perspectives. And we always like to brag that um, what we do in the LGHL feed is a little different than what most of the other Ohio State podcasts do. Obviously, we talk about all of the news and everything going on around Buckeye Nation there, but we try to do it with a little bit different perspective, a little bit more fun, um, and try to talk about things in a little bit more broader perspective than just um, the sometimes myopic and singularly focused Ohio State community. So looking forward to adding you into that mix and think this is going to be uh, a really cool way to get through the off season, and then it'll be obviously all systems go once we get to the fall and football kicks back up. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm excited to get working with you, especially, Matt. I've been reading all of your stuff, uh, especially since I've kicked off with this. Uh, and I'm just excited to really just dive into it. A new adventure, you know, it's always fun. And, you know, I'm going to be surrounded with talented people of common interest, and you can't really ask for more than that. Nope. So, I mean, what are we getting into today? Uh, we've got some draft final thoughts. I know we've kind of Covered that one to death, us, everyone else. So I think we're going to kind of stick to some evaluation, some final fits, some of our favorite landing spots for guys on this one. Just kind of, you know, wrap it up, put a nice pin in it. And then there's some people who are leaving us. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. it's turning turned into a free-for-all out there. People kind of come and go whenever they want. <laughs> and it's kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, but I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that Ohio State has seen a number of people departing for perhaps greener pastures, but it's coming from a lot of different areas. Not only have we had a football player leave recently, we've had a basketball player leave recently, but we've also seen some super important folks um, that kind of work behind the scenes for the Ohio State football team leave. And I think they're all leaving for different reasons. Um, and I think they'll... <laughs> No offense to some of these people. I think some people will have a bigger impact on the product that we end up seeing 
than others will. And I guess we can get into that a little bit more in depth when we get there. But some of them will have very little impact, if any at all. Uh, and it might be surprising which ones those are. Yeah, I think it's funny. I guess when I was creating this show plan, I didn't think the theme, the overarching theme of it would be people leaving because we got the draft. We got, you know, we got draft predictions for next year, people leaving then. We got staff turnover in the media department, people leaving there. Then we got two important transfers uh, to certain extent. Yeah, important's a relative term, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean... We'll see how they impact their future teams, but I think that just the way fans are treating these transfers, I think they're very interesting conversation yeah, very topics weird. to get into. Very, very weird. Yeah, I think I think we'll get started with putting a pin in the 2021 NFL draft. I think that's a good place to go. It's kind of where the week started. We'll start with where the week started and kind of work our way through it. Uh, but Ohio State had 10 players drafted this year. That's the second year in a row. Uh, one of the few teams who have done that with Alabama, and I believe one other program in the 2000 millennium. I believe it was Miami. Uh, that makes and, sense. And, you know, we had Justin Fields go number 11 overall. We could have our complaints about that. But I kind of want to get started with him. I think, obviously, we'll go with the biggest name drafted. I think the Bears are actually a pretty good fit. And, uh, to lead a segue into your thoughts on that, I really like Matt Nagy, what he said from it, the trust he put into Ryan Day as a friend in the evaluation process. Mm-hmm. And then you take a look at Justin. Uh, he get, goes to a place that wanted him. They traded up to get him. That's an obvious sign that, hey, this is our guy moving forward. You know, they have Andy Dalton. So if Justin Fields isn't ready, per se, immediately, uh, they have a bridge guy in place. And Nagy said there's not going to be a rush to him. Yeah, I think two of the things you said there are really important. The first one is that the Bears obviously wanted to have Justin Fields as their quarterback of the future. And I think that's important not only from a um, a team perspective, but also from a fan perspective with all of the BS that we've heard slung around about Justin Fields over the past few months leading into the draft, I was a little concerned that if it was just a smokescreen and someone like the 49ers or the Jets ended up taking him second or third overall, that that fan base might have kind of been poisoned to him by all of the crap that people like Dan Orlovsky and and, and Charlie Casserly were pumping out, yeah, and they might sure. not have accepted him. It was so clear from the moment that Fields was drafted that the Bears fans were in 100%. And obviously that doesn't necessarily have the direct impact to how he performs on the field, but it has an impact. And like I think it has a legit impact. It might be indirect, but it, it how the community and the fan base accepts a player, especially a quarterback, goes a long way. But also, like you said, the Bears were so pumped up to be able to get him at 11. You saw the video of them... Uh, making the call to Justin Fields, who we saw it for two years in the uh, uh, the Ohio State press conferences. Fields doesn't show a ton of emotion. No, he's very um, he's a, he's a cool he's very stoic. Yeah, but like Matt Nagy and the front office was much more excited than maybe Fields was. Fields felt like determined. And of course, he just seen himself lose millions of dollars in an hour, basically, as he kept falling. So he was probably a little shell shocked. But I think this is a really good fit from that perspective. Because everybody in Chicago wants him there, and I have no doubt that Fields is going to work his ass off to make sure that he lives up to their expectations. But the other part that's really interesting is you talking about Andy Dalton. And there is just very little 
possibility in my mind that they are going to be able to emulate what they say they want to emulate, which is having Alex Smith start for a year, Patrick Mahomes sit on the bench for a year. Uh, Mahomes actually did start one game because Smith was was hurt. I just can't see that happening for a lot of reasons. And I talked with Ian Harditz um, from uh, Pro Football Focus in this podcast feed a couple days ago, and he brought out a stat that like there's only been like four quarterbacks drafted in the top ten, and obviously Fields was eleven, so you know a little fudging there um, that didn't become the full time starter at some point during that season. And the difference is between Dalton and Smith. Smith had been the quarterback in Kansas City for four years before Mahomes got there, and then he started for the fifth season and then left and Mahomes took over. Dalton's been in Chicago for a month and a half. He doesn't know the offense that much better. He doesn't have relationships with the other uh, with the playmakers. So I just can't see a situation in which Fields, a far, far more talented guy than A.D. Dalton, especially at this point in his career, doesn't end up taking the reins there because the Bears aren't bad. They made the playoffs last year. They've been 8-8 eight and eight the last two years. So if their defense continues to be as good as it has been in, in recent seasons, like I don't see any reason that Justin Fields won't give them a better chance to have a more interesting and explosive offense and potentially propel them into the playoffs far better than the Red Rocket ever could. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point, absolutely. I think when you really look at Justin Fields, uh, I think – He's a guy he's going to work hard. I think as Ohio State fans, we were mm-hmm. so appalled by the fact that people were calling him either lazy or not processing. I think the line was last one in, first one out. And, you yeah. know, for two years, the minute he showed up on campus, like that's the exact opposite of what we heard. So, like, hearing that was kind of shocking. And, I, I mean, two days later, a day later, he's already in Chicago. He's already working out. He's already you know, taking on those challenges that are going to be so important in the process to taking over that starting job, being ready when he gets there. Cause you know, I think like you said, like when Justin Fields was getting interviewed after he kind of seemed the same quiet, you know, like Justin Fields, we see in press conferences, he's not, he's not showing a lot. He doesn't show his hand really much. He says what a quarterback's supposed to say and he gets to work. And I think, that's going to be an endearing factor for Bears fans as long as they're winning. Uh, I think, you know, you see all the drama around the league with quarterbacks right now. They have taken on that, like, $150 million you're paying me. I'm going to speak my mind. Yeah. So I think Justin Fields is never going to be that guy. He just seems to me, and I hate using pro quarterback comparisons, but, you know, like, in a way, Dak Prescott came into the league very quiet, very stoic. Never really said anything, never really caused problems, was very talented, came in, won the job. And I think that's kind of the dream scenario for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, and the one thing that might change that and the way you can always get um, some emotion and excitement out of Justin Fields is if you talk about his dog, Uno. If you start talking about Uno, you get a completely different guy out of Justin Fields. Um, But other than that, I think you're right. I mean, he's going to do his job. I don't think he's afraid to speak his mind. But, I mean, I think the one of the, the obvious things that kind of shows you who he is, like, we didn't know that he was diagnosed with epilepsy in ninth grade until, like, halfway through the draft process. Yeah. He's been a college quarterback for three years, one year in Georgia, uh, two years in Ohio State. No one's ever mentioned it. He's never mentioned it. And uh, a lot of the beat reporters for Ohio State said we didn't know. So he's not a guy that just kind of talks for talking's sake. Like, he's going to answer your questions. He kind of does it begrudgingly. 
Um, he's not a bad guy. Like, I mean, we've seen videos of him dancing in the uh, in the Ohio State meeting room. He's obviously fun. The other players like him, but it's just not his thing to be out there and talking and being yeah. super emotional on Maine. So uh, I think this is a, a good fit for him. Uh, I think the Bears fans will appreciate how hard he works. He's not in a place like uh, New York or Los Angeles where they want you to be a big star, too. Yeah, um, I think his so personality I, just meshes with Chicago immediately. Yeah, even though he's from the South, it's a very kind of Midwestern blue collar. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and do my job kind of personality. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I haven't evaluated the Bears roster much, but I think, you know, Justin Fields is the type of guy, regardless of who's around him, he's going to try to elevate whoever he's got. So I'm really excited to see it. Um, of the other... 10 or so Buckeyes selected. What was one of the fits you saw immediately on draft day? And you're like, that's it. That's the one. Man, that's tough because I like a lot of them. Um, I, I think the first one that came to mind when it happened um, was Trey Sermon. Because we saw Trey Sermon at his best in his final f- two full games of the season. Obviously, I'm not counting the Alabama game because he only played one play. We saw the type of back that he can be. The problem with going to San Francisco is is that Kyle Shanahan likes to use a stable of backs. He's never going to have one true running back who gets you know the vast majority of carries. However, I think what Sermon can do fits really well with what the Niners want out of a running back. They want a guy who's tough, a guy who can run north-south, a guy who can make people miss but can also run people over and can block as well. And I think we saw that from Sermon during his one season in Columbus, even if he didn't start the season in necessarily the best shape um, and didn't really know the scheme well enough because he'd only been there for a handful of months at that point. Um, in a COVID year with no real yeah, offseason. Exactly. So I think that, you know, coming in at pick 88 in the third round, like I think it's a really good fit. It's really good value for them. Um, and he's a guy who's going to go in there. And let's be honest, running backs – don't have long shelf lives in the NFL. And one way to borrow a term from the NBA to make sure that they are able to get the most out of their career is load management. So with Trey Sermon being a part of undoubtedly what's going to be a stable in San Francisco, even though I think he has the potential to be the the top guy in that stable, it's going to prolong his career. Um, And while that might not be in terms of, you know, might not be the best way to look at it in terms of fit into how he can produce on the field, it is a pretty good fit for how he can extend his career and have the most of an NFL um, experience. So I really like that one. I think guys like um, uh, Baron Browning um, falling all the way um, to the Broncos um, is a really good fit for them. He's going to have an opportunity to, Browning's to play there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just think they all kind of fit really well. I actually really like the Pete Werner um, situation with the Saints. The Ohio, the Ohio State Saints. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The Ohio State Saints. Because um, he's going to probably end up starting right away and you know i don't think that pete is ever going to be the best player on any team he's or the best linebacker even on any team that he's on he's going to be lined up next to uh demario davis who's an all pro but he he's the guy who's never going to make you feel like he's not capable he's going to be there he's going to be able to contribute and i think he's going to be somebody who like I said, never going to be the best linebacker on the team, but he's never going to be the type of guy that hurts your chances to win. So I think there's a lot of them, and I think some of these other ones uh, um, fit well. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I want to kind of keep with Pete for a second here. 
Uh, Pete, you know, one thing about him I think a lot of people in the NFL aren't really ready for because I think there's still a lot of people confusing him with Tough Borland, and I, I, it just it's <laughs> it's so unfair. It's confusing. It really is unfair. And the one thing that's going to surprise a lot of people, I think especially Saints fans, is how athletic Pete actually is. Because, I mean, we both remember his first year as a full-time starter. He was covering. He was playing the half-field safety, uh, covering tight ends yeah. like Pat Freyermuth, covering slot receivers at times, and doing a really good job at it. Uh, he's a little bit bigger now. Uh, I think 235. He was around 220 when he was doing that. But, I mean, last year he was still a very good athlete. He was still able to move in space well. Uh, they just wanted him in a different role, and I think that's – the Swiss Army knife that Pete Werner is. Uh, he could play that new hybrid safety that the NFL loves. He could play a true will yeah. or interior linebacker position. I think just the versatility is where I like him. Uh, the other one that I liked a lot just because I think it's partly funny, uh, Josh Myers, they lost Corey Lindsley, who went on to become the highest-paid center, decided, hey, it worked the first time. Let's go again with a center from Ohio State. I mean, off, yeah. offensive linemen are kind of hard to grade their fit immediately just because you don't know how they're going to be utilized. Yeah. But I just – I like Josh Myers. I think he's going to be a great player. I think uh, Midwest guy, Midwest uh, destination. Uh, then Tommy Togiai to the Browns. Uh, I think when you talk about it, he's not going to be a starter right away. He's probably going to be the second guy in on the rotation. But Tommy Togiai brings exactly what a playoff team in the Browns needed – on the defensive side of the ball. They need a physical guy up front, explosive off the ball. He could play the one technique at times. He could play the three technique and run situations. He brings a lot of value for that fourth-round draft pick, and I think he's a guy later half of the draft who can play and contribute immediately. And I think one thing I really liked, I read this from Andrew Barry yesterday, because the only team I follow more or close to Ohio State's the Browns, uh, they drafted Tommy Togiai. They didn't really give any credence to the combine, the pro day stuff this year. They said, we went, we put in his film, we really liked him, we drafted him. So that means that tells me two things. They know exactly yeah. what player they're getting on the field, and they have a plan on how they're going to utilize him next year. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where the Browns have really started to beef up their defensive line and as i've told you in the past i'm not uh, a fan of any particular nfl team so i i just kind of turn on red zone on sundays and and watch all the uh the big plays from every game but the the browns seem to be trying to get back to the dog pound mentality that they like to think of themselves at like over the decades of the Browns kind of sucking, they got away from that. And the way that they've really been focusing on this defensive line um, has gotten a lot of that toughness back. And we know that there is nobody stronger and tougher potentially in the entire league, um, or at least in this draft, uh, than Tommy Togiai with what we've seen from him in terms of the bench press um, off the field. And then on the field, he's just kind of a surly dude that can blow up any play at any point. So I think that he's just adding to... Um, you know, a really interesting mentality shift um, in Cleveland, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I think he's going to fit right in. And you know how many Browns fans are also Buckeye fans. So I think he's going to be one of those guys who ends up being a fan favorite, whether or not he starts just because of the way he plays and where he played his college football. I think he's going to have a really, really good career with the Browns. Yeah, it's 
probably it's probably of the of the picks not just in fields he's probably my favorite fit honestly uh and then yeah. to wrap up the draft conversation you know we're gonna get into next year's uh with a fun little topic i kind of came up with on the spot but uh we're gonna go with I, that jonathan cooper and the kids of his neighborhood i mean can that not make yeah. you happier like i love that uh, that's those those videos uh, i said it on a show in the lghl feed earlier this week but like the videos of the guys getting drafted the videos of um walk-ons getting scholarships the videos of uh, the Ohio State coaches calling their the the players' parents and telling them they're going to be a starter. Like those videos are like my thing. Like I love those things. I'll watch all of them. They get me emotional every time. So I love all that stuff. That was uh, one of the best. And we've seen so much from Jonathan Cooper over his time in Columbus of just how he gets knocked down and gets back up again. Whether that's um, in terms of injuries or whatever, um, we saw we've seen a lot about like his mom's story over the years, and uh, that's just another example of how like he's a guy who's gonna succeed. I know it's tough for somebody drafted in the seventh round to make an NFL team, um, let alone have a great career. But like, if anyone's gonna do it, it's gonna be Jonathan. Absolutely. Like, he's like- just a guy who who works hard. He's not the most athletic in terms of defensive ends that have come out of Columbus, but like, dude works hard. He's incredibly tough. He's incredibly intelligent. He's incredibly skilled. Uh, so I'm I'm rooting for him with all my heart. I, I think I like exactly what you said. I think in Columbus he had so many trials and triumphs and then setbacks. And, you know, I think if any of the players to fall to the seventh round who are going to use this as a motivation tactic, I think Cooper is going to be the guy who's going to absolutely – Make it, and then 10 years later when we're like, oh, Jonathan Cooper played 10 years in the NFL, I mean, it's not going to shock any of (laughs) us. That tracks. I mean, he may never be a superstar, but he's going to have a long career. I hope so. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, those guys left us on a positive note. I think, you know, tying Alabama with 10 players drafted, I think that's exciting for the program. It's another thing they could market, but we're going to have different people doing it from here on out. Our media department turnover. I think that's the next thing I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure where you were going. I, yeah, there's definitely something you can market. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I've said this for years. We've posted articles about it on Land Grant. Like, Ohio State's social media team is the best. Like, I know people want to talk about LSU, blah, blah, blah. Ohio State's social media team, between the hype videos, between uh, the social media posts, they are the absolute best. And you're right, there's been some turnover, um, especially in the last few years, and it seems like there's been a couple even this offseason. But, like, I I love what they do, and I love the the kind of the perspective and the creativity that they have. Um, but, yeah, I'll let you kind of get into that point. Yeah, so uh, in the social media department, the creative department, I don't know the exact – uh, terminology they like to use to call themselves. But I think under Mark Pantone and Urban Meyer, they really took social media on and ran with it. A lot of programs kind of fell a little bit behind. And that's part of having smart people, number one, leading the program and getting the best young talent at creative design that you can find in sports and getting them into your program to say, hey, make cool stuff so we can post it on social media so recruits see it. They could see how much it grows yeah. the brand. Uh, you know, with name, image, and likeness stuff coming up, with all that, I mean, the social media teams totally. building the following, that's going to be 
such an important part of the recruitment process. I think a lot of people, I don't think anyone's undervaluing it, but I don't think a lot of people are seeing the true scope of how important these teams are going to become in major college sports. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've seen for years at Ohio State, even kind of predating this most recent rise of name, image, and likeness discussions. Like, I, I want to say it was Larry Johnson, um, but it might not have been. Um, we've seen a behind-the-scenes video of, like, Ohio State guys coming in and talking with coaches, but then also talking with the the I don't know, marketing department, media department, um, and talking about what they want their brand to be, like coming up with a hashtag for, for what they want to be. And like, that's part of developing guys now, not only um, as football players, but as like football properties. Like you go to a place like Ohio State because you want to have the best opportunity to succeed in the NFL. And while you might just be thinking, oh, you build a brand because you want to make money. But like building a brand is also about like, being noticed and being on people's draft radar like just because you play well obviously a lot of teams are going to find you but the more your name is in um you know is is on espn and on podcasts and on websites like that's part of of catching the eyes of scouts in the nfl so like it's all one big package now and it's something that ohio state has done really really well and as we see the opportunities for players to make money with name image and likeness moving forward like they're almost going to be like their not agents but like their marketing managers in terms of helping promote them to hopefully make those players some money and i don't know how that will work in terms of uh um, like legit connections on if they're actually the ones helping them make the money, but just making them more prominent in communities is a big deal when it comes to NIL rights. Yeah, and I think uh, what the two biggest names I saw leave this year were Chris Charizopoulos and Zach Schwartz, and those two guys were in pretty high positions in that regard. So I think replacing them has to be of the utmost importance moving forward with young exciting people because in creative stuff i think that's kind of always the way to move yeah and yes they are i'm sure that they were very very talented we don't exactly know who does exactly Exactly which stuff um but i'm sure that they are leaving ohio state for really good jobs somewhere like it's turned into like a really good stepping stone probably working with a professional sports team but i also really trust uh, Mark Pantoni and Ryan Day to find guys who are going to be able to continue what has been established in the past uh, and to evolve it and to, and to continue to make it better. So um, I, I feel like Mark Pantoni, there's a reason that he's out there leading seminars on player development or whatever his officially title is. It's because he's the best in the business. So I trust him to be able to figure out the way um, forward with this. But I, I think you're absolutely right. You cannot undersell how important that part of the Ohio State program is to the to the success of players in the team on and off the field. Yeah, and I think I think the I mean the NCAA is changing, everything's changing. We already talked about it, but underselling this would be the biggest mistake this program could make because we're in the top tier. Yeah. I mean, other schools are going to claim theirs are the best. I know Oklahoma's got a pretty talented team down there. I know LSU Man. during the Burrow time. I mean, I mean, we could have all. Had a great social media with Burrow in that year. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think the challenge wasn't that. I mean, anyone could have made the jersey. It was fun. But I think on a day-to-day basis, seeing what Ohio State's come up with, I think new faces, this is exciting, honestly. And I think 
what you said, bringing up Pantone being the best in the business. I'm not exactly worried, but I am excited to see what we get to see in the future because there's going to be new ways to sell the player. There's going to be new ways. Like, unfortunately, what, a few years ago, a UCF player had to choose between football and a YouTube. In a couple years, we're going to be getting full-on probably cribs type tv shows on youtube with the ohio state football program bring it on let's go like, i will watch every second of that like, i know cribs is probably a little outdated but i it's just, no it's my generation that i'm old chris i i remember the actual cribs shows it, i i get it i know you know discover uh, was it discovery plus or paramount one of the new streaming services has all those old mtv shows and i it's it's been my favorite be thing. paramount yeah yeah paramount probably does and, they uh I'm just They're thinking, a Viacom company. With the YouTube vlogging generation, I know so many young kids who are Ohio State fans would absolutely just connect with that. And, you know, this stuff, it's all coming, and players are going to be able to make money off of it. Players are going to be able to sell themselves uh, to an audience in a greater way. You know, we get these images on Twitter now. We get the occasional video. But this, there's so much that the, the horizons are endless right now. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the day that the players can actually do some of the things that the NCAA has been preventing them from doing for decades. Yeah, and I think that's the other aspect of this conversation, the NCAA side, the replacement side. And I think we're going to see more of it. I'm excited. Uh, but overall, I think it was just something we needed to touch on because I think fans don't realize how much work goes into creating all that. And someone's doing and it. And how important it is. Yeah, and how important it is. And, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of just why I wanted to touch on it today. Uh, I think a new direction's always good in creative design. Sometimes it goes a little too far, but, you know, we just call that art. And we move on to the next creative design thing. So, uh, they're leaving. Uh, it's been a good ride. I really liked the... I can't remember what they called it, but the theme they use this year with all the scarlet stuff was awesome and ending it in the draft with that futuristic three-dimensional kind of retro futuristic combination yeah. was cool uh so we'll see where it goes uh but what, what do you want to talk about next you want to go basketball it's the off season for them too we want to go football with the transfer let's there. go football Let, let's stick with football first okay sounds good all right so i think we've all Heard the news, uh, what, about a week ago, a week and a half ago, Jameson Williams entered the transfer portal, and very shortly after he announced his list, it included multiple teams, USC, Alabama, that team up north, unfortunately. Uh, so you could tell there was a little chip on his shoulder when he was walking out the door. Uh, but Jameson Williams, uh, he's transferring to Alabama. Uh, he's already been touted as the next Devontae Smith by their fans. Uh, I'm sure uh, we're all, I mean, we're all wishing him well. Uh, there's no ill will, uh, even totally. with some of the out-the-door stuff that happened. Uh, but I, I really like Jameson. I think Tom Orr, I think he's with the Scoot now. He had a great picture of the week type thing where it's like Jameson Williams celebrating his teammates. So we're losing a pretty good yeah. character guy on the field. Very, Yeah, I mean, he's been... Very fast. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's one of those guys who, if you watch the very few press conferences that he was able to do, um, especially this past year because of all the COVID stuff, like we didn't get as much 
um, interview time with him as as we have in recent years uh, with players. But like, he's a fun dude. Like, he's a really good interview. He always seems to be smiling. Um, like you said, I, I saw that thread as well of all the times that like he's on the sideline and like watching somebody score, biggest smile, or watching an interception. Yeah, it just seems like a really connected dude. Um, I mean, here let's let's put on our analyst hats here. Like, Jameson Williams was a starter last year. He played well, but he was. It didn't he really, didn't get a lot of opportunities. Didn't really flash anything over the top special, right? And for whatever reason, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were the guys who got the vast majority of targets and receptions for Ohio State last year. And I could ask now, you, one of the I, obvious I wonder reasons. why, you know? Yeah, they're. I think PFF right now has them as as wide receiver one and wide receiver two in the entire country coming into next year. So I wrote this a couple of weeks ago when I did a, a two deep for the season after the spring game, like Jamison had his opportunity to cement himself in the rotation. He didn't do that. And no matter how well he played in the spring, there's always going to be that allure of the younger guys, Jackson Smith and Jigba. He, he flashed last year. Jamison didn't as much. So it, it was quite obvious that Jamison had been bumped down the pecking order. I really thought that there was a chance that he might have had to really fight not to be bumped off the second team. Absolutely. Um, so so while it, it sucks to be losing him, especially to Alabama, I, I don't know that Ohio State is actually losing much more than depth. Like, I don't think he was going to be a major contributor unless it was on special teams. Um, I hope that he has a great career at, at Alabama. He's going to be along uh, alongside John Michi. I think he's the only really major contributor uh, from the wide receivers that's left after Smith and Waddle left. Yeah, I, but like, I think it's Slade Bolden's his name. He's the other guy who contributed last yeah. year. And I think Jamison Williams brings an immediately different skill set than him. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they ask him to do because, like, really at Ohio State, all he needed to do was be fast. Yeah. Um, if they want him to do more at Alabama, that might show that he's got more skill set than that. But he just never really had the opportunity to show it in Ohio at Ohio State. And like you said, no will will happy for the kid. Um, wish him the best, and I hope Ohio State um, gets revenge on Alabama and plays him later in the season, just like they did uh, Clemson the year before. Yeah, and I think one thing we got to touch on because a lot of people were like. Well, specifically one guy, R.J. Young, was like, Nick Saban came in and pulled a coup on Brian Hartline's receiver room and took Jamison Williams out. And you sort of mentioned it with your 2D article. I've talked about it a bunch of times on this show. I, I mean, after the spring game, we had Amike Egbuka with, was it 12 catches? We had Marvis Harrison yeah, Jr. Insane. with a, five catches and a touchdown. And those guys are true freshmen. Not to mention you have Julian Fleming, who has been battling injuries since he was in high school and still an absolute freak. Uh, needs to get a little bit more comfortable catching the football in, the, in game situations. But then you have Jackson Smith, who took the slot. And once Jackson Smith moved into the slot position, Olave was moving back outside. There goes one of Williams' opportunities to get on the field. And then Garrett Wilson's not coming off the field next year. Uh, he's playing for money at this point. Yeah. So... The reality of the situation was Jamison Williams saw the writing on the wall, knew that 75% of the targets were probably to go to Olave and Wilson. When you're a junior, uh, getting a little bit more old, uh, as they say, I guess, 
he's still only what 21 years old but you know you start seeing the less opportunities you start seeing that and you're like this is kind of starting to affect my future people aren't seeing me as much as i'd like them to see me and i think that's the biggest reason he left uh he didn't want to fight for that other 25 percent of targets he wanted to come into a place have a real opportunity to be the number two guy and compete in that way rather than compete with guys who are younger than him who might be more talented than him. I'm not going to get into any arguments online and Instagram comments about it, but I think, I think it's, I think it's just one of those situations. There's a lot of talent. There's opportunity elsewhere. The fit just wasn't there anymore. Yeah. I mean, he, like you said, he was, would have been fighting with like five other guys for 25% of the targets on, you know, based off of your numbers. Um, even if he got a majority of those, that's not a lot of targets. Um, at Alabama, he has an opportunity to get a larger chunk of targets, which you can't fault him. This is a business. These are guys up trying to, to get the most out of uh, their college career to help them in the NFL. So no, no bones about it. I, I, I'm happy form um, i'm excited for him but i don't think it's really going to impact ohio state on the field yep, much this i agree year. and moving forward i think there's some certain amount of people who had a lot of bones about this transfer uh ibrahima diallo so and weird. i was when we were talking uh just about this transfer a lot of like the comments were like chris holtman can't run a program he lost another guy and i was just like wait a minute what I'm like, this honestly could turn out to be a blessing, number one. And number two, like, this is college basketball now. People are going to leave. People are <laughs> going to come. It's, it's Everyone's transferring. I think Connor, he wrote an article, 25% of Division One basketball players or something like that are in the transfer portal. Yep. Yeah. It's, this is what college basketball is now, especially during the COVID year when there is a uh, no fault transfer rule where you can transfer and play right away. Um, obviously, this is not the first time that Holtman's lost guys. We saw him lose DJ Carton and a bunch of other guys a couple, uh, over the past couple of seasons. Um, that's just par for the course now. Like you've got 13 scholarships in men's basketball. 13 players aren't really going to be able to contribute nope. um, for basketball teams. So there's going to be a bit of attrition when guys just aren't getting the opportunities that they want or not. They aren't developing as quickly there. So they go to find someplace else. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I've, you know, when you bring in a guy like Ibrahim Diallo, who is from the Sudan, only came over to the United States, I think as a junior in high school, never really played a ton of basketball growing up, but he's 6'11 or 6'10 or whatever. Like, you knew he was going to be a project. And for whatever reason, he was hurt a ton during his Ohio and State career. Sort of happens with seven-footers. Exactly. So, you know, like, that's just how it works. You take, you roll the dice on him. Um, it didn't work out at Ohio State. Hopefully, wherever he ends up, probably on a lower level, whether that's um, a mid-major or lower, or you know, even a, a lower division. Um, I think it's awesome that he's here. I think it's awesome that he's playing basketball and getting an education. I don't think that he was ever somebody who could factor into the future for the Buckeyes, even with three years of eligibility still remaining. Um, at least I don't. I mean, I don't think he was technically a red shirt during his freshman year, uh, but maybe he was. Um, but like you said, there, this opens up the opportunity. This opens up a, a scholarship spot for the Buckeyes to potentially get another big on the roster. 
Um, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense because of how much playing time there's going to be available, but um, it definitely has the potential to um, let the Buckeyes get at least one more guy into yeah, this class. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think when you look at Ibrahima Diallo's prospect profile on 24-7 sports, his composite rating was 369. He was always going to be a project player. Uh, he was kind of, like you said, beat with injuries. And I think one thing that I've noticed in the Holtman era is he has kind of been getting that treatment where he can't do anything right. They said, hey, when you come in here, you better recruit these top-end talents. You know, he gets DJ Carden. He gets a few other – he gets Liddell and a few other guys. And guess what? DJ Carden's a little unhappy with his role because Holtman likes experienced guards. Like, that's his thing. He likes to have veteran guards that play good defense. So, C.J. Walker fit that mold. Dwayne Washington gives everybody headaches, but – he was experienced. He was a good ball handler. And when he was on his A game, I don't think there's a guard who could match him offensively in the country. Yeah. Uh, Carton fell out. People were super upset about it. Team gets older. Team looks better throughout the regular season. Team looks more experienced. People are really excited. Uh, we fall short a little bit in the Big Ten tournament. And then, obviously, the Oral Roberts game happened. Uh, but some of that stuff is unpredictable college basketball. And some of that stuff is, you know, year, Colbin's year three, I think going on year four. Four. Year, no, going, going on, on year, year five. five. I, I, I don't have many complaints. I think a lot of people no. are really overvaluing Ohio State's basketball program. What, one championship in a 100-year history? Uh, it gets the unfair comparison to – the football team, which I think Connor mentioned in his most recent article about it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this was always going to be a five, 10 year product. I think that motto might've been the greatest basketball coach in Ohio state basketball history. He didn't win a championship, but the yeah. constant amount of success, the sweet 16s, the elite eights, a few final four appearances, the national championship appearance, that was peak Ohio state basketball. That's what it can be. And most of those teams, I think the, more recent one, the Aaron Kraft, the John Dealer team. That was experienced guys. Not all of them were the most highly touted recruits. Uh, and they ended up growing together and becoming a great team. And I think that's how Holtman did it at Butler. That's how Holtman's always done it. And I can't I don't think we could force his identity. And I think that's what the fan base is trying to do. Well, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people are spoiled by their memories and nostalgia for the Thad Mata era, but they forget like Mata wasn't a guy for the first half of his career at Ohio State who landed a ton of studs. It wasn't until like Mike Conley Jr. and Greg Oden basically fell in his lap that he was able to turn that around. And then you got guys like D'Angelo Russell who came in, um, but he was never somebody up there competing with the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the Kansas and the North Carolinas um, for the top five star guys. Obviously, he got some, um, but that wasn't necessarily the buildup for his team. Like he was doing it in a lot of the same ways that it's, Chris Holtman. It's guys was. like and David Lighty. It's guys like William Buford who exactly. are from the Midwest who are undervalued nationally. That come to Ohio State, they develop, and then they create this team and then you get a Greg Oden on your lap and you're good yeah and it that's very similar to what Holtman is doing because now you're starting to see with um him 
being in the mix for some of the best players in the country hasn't landed them yet, but you're seeing Ohio State pop up as a finalist, like the legit on the graphic edit finalist for a lot of like really big Which players. Is like a small thing, um, but that's actually a really big thing, right? Yeah, I mean that's huge. The, you know, the number one player in the country who just committed to Gonzaga had Ohio State as one of his three was finalists. Crystal Ball so, to him for some time. Was it Chet Holmgren? I, I don't remember was, that. But I, like he, I, saw, I, I mean, I might be wrong. I, I might have just been my fan goggles on. But. <laughs> I think he was. I think he was a, a expected to go to Gonzaga the whole time. Um, but Chet Holmgren is the number one player in the country. He's a full five star. He literally has the highest possible grade. He's you can a seven get footer who can on the twenty four seven. Yeah, and he, he's got the highest possible score you can get on, on 24-7 sports composite ratings. And he had Ohio State as one of his three finalists. That's a big deal because it also not only set, shows you that Chris Holtman is close with a lot of these players, but it also shows other players that, oh, Holmgren liked uh, Ohio State that much. Maybe we should give them a look as well. So I don't know if he's going to break through with maybe potentially getting Efton Reed, who's another five-star center, uh, number 25 player in the country this year, who's had a really weird delayed recruiting. Um, maybe he gets um, EJ Onyu, who is an NAIA player from Cleveland, who is um, looking yeah, to make the he, jump to Division One this he's year. He's at 6'11". Or if it's somebody... Correct. Yeah, 6'11". Or maybe it's not until 2022 or 2023, but I think Ohio State is close to kind of breaking through, and they're not going to get the best players in the country every season, but they're going to be in there and they're going to land a five-star guy once every couple seasons. And that's going to make a huge difference um, for Holtman in the way that he's perceived both on and off. Yeah, I think two things. I think the Midwest will always be a very great basketball region. So there's always going to be an opportunity to win some of those recruiting battles. And two, I think Chris Holtman from a success standpoint is a sweet 16 away from getting a raise before he'd get fired. Right. Like, like even yeah. if I, I don't think we'll miss the tournament. We've got a lot of people returning, but I think this team next year has just as much opportunity to make the Sweet Sixteen, the Elite Eight, uh, do something dangerous. No, they're a better and team. Yeah, I think that's the trajectory we should have been on. Yeah, this team that coming back this year, assuming Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell return, which at this point, who the hell knows? Um, they're better. I mean, they they lost C.J. Walker, uh, but they replaced him with Jamari Wheeler. Um, they got Joey Brunk, who's going to be like a backup kind of a hustle center. player. Um, comes in, provides rebound yeah. and energy. Exactly. So, and, but and and then they actually have Chris Holtman's top rated recruit in his entire career coming in in Malachi He's Brandon. Awesome. So who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like they're going to be better this year. I, you know, Ohio state was a legit final four contender this past season. It obviously didn't play out that way on the court, but like they were a legit final four team, you know, a potential final four team. So like, I think that that is very much a possibility next year, but you're right. He, Holtman has to get to the second weekend next year um, or things might turn ugly. Um, but I think if he does that, like it just shows that there is progress and they have the ability to uh, compete with. Oh, the absolutely! Boys. And I, I think I think it's right there for the taking. I think you know we see some of those guys. Uh, Michigan State just lost a big time recruit. Uh, our buddies up north, our rivals, they just lost Franz Wagner possibly to the draft. He's probably going. He's the ninth rated player 
in it. So I, I would be surprised if he came back if he's graded out as a lottery pick. So there's going to be a lot of transitioning teams next year. Uh, I was finally going to be without Luca Garza. So Ohio State, if they return a lot of that talent, and I, I assume I'm assuming Dwayne Washington and Liddell come back because they have possibilities to become lottery picks at some point if they play really well next year. And I think that experience combined with some of the new guys added is a very good recipe for a conference championship at the bare minimum. Yeah. And keep in mind in the 2022 class, I know it's early, but in the 2022 class, Ohio State currently has three commitments and they are ranked number one in the country. They've got the number one recruiting class in the country currently. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but they've got two fi- uh, two four-star guys. Roddy Gale is the 41st player in the country. Bruce Thornton is the 59th player in the country. Then they've got Bowen Hardman, who's actually the only Ohio player uh, in the class so far. He's uh, number 141. So, like, they've got the number one class in the country. I don't think it'll stay there if they don't add more guys, but, like, they've got some good talent coming in and Holtman's recruiting some guys uh, who can play. So hopefully that keeps up. Maybe they add another stud in that class to uh, keep them up in the top three or four. Um, but I think things are on the right track. For yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm in that boat for sure. I, I don't know how Ibrahima Diallo's transfer kind of reflects the program in a negative way, but if it you doesn't. ask, if you ask some fans, <laughs> uh, he's lost, he's lost it. So uh, we'll trust those guys, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, there's two quick, I guess, uh, recruiting topics I want to talk about real quick, and then we'll get into that final little draft topic, I guess, to close it out. Uh, Well, one, I I guess Henry 2020, I don't even know if I'm saying that right still. I I think it's 2020 is is how I – yeah. I'll learn it eventually. It's just like JT's last name. (laughs) Sometimes I say it right, sometimes not, but – Commit, commit, and then we'll learn your name. Well, I'll call him Henry for the show's sake. And Henry is a guy, his recruitment has kind of actually taken some steps forward finally. Uh, Bucknuts, I believe, released their input on this. And they're saying he's a heavy Ohio State lean, which is exciting. Uh, The other thing is, the interesting thing I took away from that article was the fact that a lot of his family wants him to go to Ohio State. And we've seen recently how important family is in recruiting processes uh, with some people who chose not to go to Ohio State. But uh, Henry is a guy who would help this team out immediately. And I guess two topics here. Uh, Do we have any idea on the timeline? Uh, I don't believe we do. It could be any minute now or it could be in a couple months. That's kind of where we're at with him. And what he brings a lot. So I he come in, he'd probably start immediately, correct? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, he's a guy who – he's a transfer, so he's not coming in as a true freshman. He's an all-SEC linebacker. Um, so he's going to come in and, and start right away. Um, I don't know who he will start opposite, like if it will be Dallas Gant or Taraja Mitchell, but um, he will take one of the two starting linebacker jobs, assuming that the bullet – stays as its own separate thing. Um, But he's a guy who comes in and instantly makes Ohio State better. I think he goes or he helps the team uh, go from having a defense who, honestly, I'm a little suspect and a little worried about, um, kind of like we saw last year. I don't know that they got much better from last year. And, in fact, I think the secondary might have gotten a little worse. We're going to need to see a lot of the secondary take some leaps forward this year to be. Exactly. 
I think they've got more talent maybe than they had last year, but they're they're unproven. But having a guy who is a proven linebacker playing at Tennessee, playing in the SEC, and having as much success as he did, like that's huge. Now, I disagree a little bit in terms of timeline. I can't imagine that he doesn't want to be on campus wherever he ends up um, for all of the summer sessions. So I would imagine, and this is just me guessing, like, I would think we have it this month. Like, I, I don't think he wants, I mean, maybe early June, but like, I don't think he wants to spend the summer working out on his own and miss out on learning the scheme, um, getting to know his teammates, you know, working with, if he comes to Ohio State, Coach Mick. Like, I think he's going to want to be on campus wherever he goes by the time the summer semester or whatever rules around. I don't know if there's any like registration deadlines that he has to hit at either Ohio state or Alabama, which is presumably the other school that he's looking at. Um, but I think it happens sooner rather than later. I don't think this is something where he waits till fall yeah, for sure. Uh, Especially with decision. his talent level, because he's a guy who come in play extremely well and get drafted next year. Yeah. I mean, I have him projected uh, in the, um, the kind of silly, uh, 2022 Ohio State draft piece that I did. Like, I think that that's um, a very potential or very likely potential that he only plays one season yeah. in Columbus. So I, I think I think the one holdup that kind of made me extend the timeline was uh, apparently there's this SEC ruling coming up about the intra-conference yeah. rule. Uh, I don't know the timeline on that because I don't really follow their news all that much. I don't think there is one. So yeah, I don't if think you're going to make one. your decision based on that, you could be waiting until next year. Honestly, so uh, I, I, I kind of I'm hoping it's within the next month. I, I think the they called it the May mester, the June mester. You know those early summer classes you could kind of get in for. And <laughs> I when I when I went to Ohio State, we were on quarters. So I, don't I, know yeah, I mean, I had my fair share of summer <laughs> classes, but uh, yeah, and I, I think some were 16 weeks, some were eight weeks, some were four weeks. So it never really made sense to me in the summer. Uh, but I think he's a guy uh, I'm excited to see. And then the other one, and this is interesting because of the other players we're recruiting at the position. Uh, Ohio State uh, took the recruitment from, uh, I believe, Kai Stokes uh, from Florida. Uh, he He's an yep. athlete uh, projected to play safety. If you look at who recruited him, it was Matt Barnes. It was Kerry Coombs. Uh, so he's a big, big safety uh Comparison I saw was Josh Proctor. So I think what does that mean for the guys? I believe like Xavier and Wonka, are we taking multiple safeties? Is this something where we took a flyer on him because of the developmental aspect of him? Uh, maybe he hasn't found a position in high school or he's just overutilized at his high school, kind of like Cam Martinez was, and he's just kind of under the radar. Uh, I, I'm just interested to see what Kai Stokes means for the rest of the class. No, see, here's the thing. I I think he's a stud. I, I've watched a little bit of him, and he's from not from, like I know where his high school is. I I've passed his high school many many times. I live in in, in Orlando. He's in between, I think, in between um, Orlando and Tampa. Um, goes to Armwood Academy, a a really big um, football powerhouse in Florida. Like I think he's legit. I think the one of the reasons that he hasn't flashed is as much is because. Um, 
he hasn't had an opportunity to go to a lot of those camps uh, that that have been canceled over the last few years, and that's how a lot of these recruiting yeah. analysts for sites like like twenty four seven Sports and Rivals um, really get the opportunity to see them. I think he's a stud, and what I think is really interesting about kind of the guys you've mentioned in terms of who Ohio State is going after um, to kind of look at the multiple defensive backs and especially safeties that they're targeting. They're all different. And that really plays to the idea of how Ohio State's defense, and especially their secondary, um, is changing as well. When you start to implement a a position like the bullet, you need different types of guys. You need to have a guy who is a little bit of a linebacker, a little bit of a safety. If you're going to talk about, you know, going to a single high, um, you need a different guy than you than you would have if you're going to have, you know, a, a a too high look, free yeah. safety, strong safety. Yeah. So I, I think Xavier and Wakpa and Wakpa is is still their number one target. I think he's probably the best safety in the country, even though he's not currently rated that way. Um, I think that they could very well go out and get three safeties in this class. Um, and they'll all do yeah, different I things, mean, you know, and they'll all be guys who have different responsibilities and different fits on this team, whether or not they are all officially safeties or if one of them becomes a bullet or whatever the hell we're going to yeah, call it's it. It's for sure future. a position of need. And, you know, after losing out on, oh, man, I'm blanking on his name, Indiana. Uh, oh, Dawson McCullough. Uh, yeah, decommitted. when he decommitted, that kind of a lot of people had him kind of projected as that hybrid safety linebacker type. And, you know, filling this out, like Kai Stokes is a pretty big looking guy. Uh, I think he, yeah, yeah, but he, he moves. moves like exactly. I think he 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 moves like a guy who could be a corner. Like I I don't know if they might eventually move him to corner, but like he has the the athleticism and I think the coverage yeah. ability uh, to but play. My initial corner. thoughts were he's kind of like similar to Ryan Watts, a little bit more on the muscular side, I guess, because Ryan Watts was a little bit leaner and longer when he was coming in. Uh, but he's just lengthy. You can't tell if he's going to be a safety, a corner when he comes in, and I think that's actually kind of. And built-in advantage with recruiting a guy like that is you take him, you give him to Mickey, you tell him what you want, and he's going to put him in Mickey's factory of football players, and he's going to come out exactly what you need. (laughs) And that's what I'm excited for. I think that's one thing. He looks like a guy who has a lot of potential. He looks like a guy who could do a lot of things. And once you get into a program like Ohio State and you have an athlete who plays multiple positions in high school focusing on one thing – that's usually a super dangerous thing because they understand the game of football on a 360-degree yeah. scope when they get there. Yep. So, yeah, I think recruiting, I think we're in a good place right now. We're starting to get some momentum back. You know, we're going to have a big topic here throughout the month with the recruiting day at the beginning of June, the recruiting weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the last thing to get into today would be the over-under for – First-round draft picks for Ohio State next year. I think that's kind of what I wanted to get into just because, you know, we could do all the projecting we want, try to pick rounds and stuff, but I'm like, you know what, let's just do it with the first round. Let's see if we get over five and a half. And that's a high number. It's a tough tough. number. Yeah, that's that's really tough because that means if they take – if you take the over with this, that you are saying that they – either tie or potentially even break the record yeah which was originally set by miami in 2004 and then alabama just tied it this past weekend um i i so knowing that i'm gonna go under um but i think it's gonna be close i've got 
five Buckeyes projected in my mock draft, which is ridiculous to yeah. say that I have a mock draft. <laughs> but uh, in the article that I did, I've got five Buckeyes going in the first round. I think Ohio State has the chance to actually break the total draft number record next year. Um, but I have five going. I've got Garrett Wilson, um, Zach Harrison, Chris Olave, Seven Banks, and Nicholas petit Frere all going. Seven Banks, I kindly took a flyer on just because Ohio State guys seem to go a lot higher in the draft um, as cornerbacks than I ever expect them to when they're really good, um, like Damon yeah. Arnett. Um, but that obviously worked out for I him really well. I love how you have him going to New um, Orleans. So- yeah, exactly. They draft everybody. Um, so, but I think you know, there's other guys in there: uh, Tyreek Smith, Teron Vincent, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett. If Henry Tooto comes to Columbus, like that could happen too. So, um, you know, I, I I think that there's a potential for six. If I'm putting any money down, which is you know the assumption, if you're talking about an over or under, I'd go under. Um, but it would be by the thinnest of yeah, margins. Yeah, I think at five and a half, it's interesting because I think you have two locks for the first round with Alave and Wilson. So you'd already be 40% of the way there. Uh, one of the DNs. Whether, that's impressive. That's, a, that's impressive math skills. Yeah, you just did there, Chris. I'm impressed don't rely that. on that in the future. I make up a lot of numbers. Uh, uh, yeah. Then you have Zach Harrison, who's a guy, if he breaks through and lives up to his five-star pedigree with everything you're hearing in the Woody Hayes, Coming out of there, it seems to be the case at this point in the offseason. Uh, that's three. Uh, hopefully, Nicholas petit Friere continues on his developmental path. That's uh, Every offense needs a tackle, whether he plays the right or left side in the pros. He's an athlete. Uh, and then you have Thayer Munford. I think that's possibly five. Uh, he's a little older, but I was reading this interesting article the other day, and he – was pro football focuses one of their highest rated tackles. And in the Big Ten, yeah. he's been an all-Big Ten performer multiple times. Penny Sewell was at his best a second-team all-Big Ten performer. Now, granted, physically one of the most imposing figures I've ever seen in the draft. And then Rashawn right. Slater never had the same award pedigree or, uh, you know, he, he just never got that recognition that Thayer Munford has. So Thayer Munford's been good that long, that consistently. I just think... A team who values that will see him as a first rounder. And then that's, I think I counted four or five right there. So that would mean I'd have to get lucky with two more guys. And I'm a man of good luck. And I've been a Tyreek Smith truther since he got there. And (laughs) two years ago, I said, this is the guy, you know, he's going to surprise everybody. He's going to be the one Buckeye who rises. Did not. Last year, I'm like, he's going to be the one Buckeye who rises up and he's going to get there. This year's the year he does it. I think Tyreek Smith becomes a top 15 <laughs> draft pick this year. This is the one. I'm locking it in. All right. Uh, so that gets me uh, – I don't know. I lost count. See, there's the math skills going yep. out the window. Numbers. Uh, Numbers. Yeah, yeah. But Teron Vincent, five-star guy or high four-star guy, I can't remember, but still a very talented player. Uh, you know, Henry uh, could be a great player this year, but I don't, th- I don't see him as a first-round pick. The other guy would be Haskell Garrett. Uh, he's a consensus All-American. Uh, he's going to be a superstar next year. Uh, I loved every minute of his touchdown against Michigan State. And I know defensive tackles aren't usually the most valued, but in a year where it feels right. like the quarterback class isn't going to be necessarily on the strongest side, I think that opens up opportunities to for more positions to sneak in there. And Haskell Garrett's one of those guys could be. where I could see him just maybe just cracking it. 
and getting that to that seven, being that seventh guy at like a 32 or a 31 Ooh. on like a... So you're... You're not even saying they're going six. You're saying they could go to seven. That's that's bold. I mean, Chris. I did, part of it's the homer coming out, but part of it, I'm just looking at these guys and I'm like, <laughs> you know, these guys are really talented football players. Like, I would not be shocked if these seven guys went in the first round. I mean, why set? Why are stop at seven? Let's let's say I think they can get I mean, the eight we, or nine. Let's, we've got one guy here. We've been missing, and the versatility he's shown in his. I want to say Don't eight years, me. nine years at Ohio State. Don't. I think Don't you have me. him going in the seventh round. But if I'm a team have, <laughs> who wants a very high character guy from everything we've ever heard, uh, a guy who could play corner, a guy who could play running back, a guy who could play receiver, returner, I think you put 30 pounds on him. He could be an elite linebacker at this point. I just don't know. <laughs> and, you know, drafting the mystery – could be the best part. So I, I do have I do have Demario McCall as Mr. Irrelevant in my uh, which in my is mock beautiful. Draft. I so, think he'd uh, be that would be if anything could be the perfect moment of the draft for Ohio State fans. Him culminating his career and ending it as Mr. Irrelevant would be the most ideal. I mean, that's draft basically pick. what. That's basically what Ohio State has thought of him since uh, he got to Columbus, uh, despite his athleticism. I am, if I, I don't know if I'm driving it, but I have been on the uh, hashtag Free Demario train for years now. In 2016, I compared him to Spider Man, and I am not gotten off that train since then. Um, uh, and I've been disappointed by his lack of involvement. I don't know if it's because of his fumbling. Uh, proclivity, but he seems to be a guy who has kind of been in and out of the doghouse, but always seems to have a smile on his face. So I want nothing more than the best for Demario McCall, and I hope. I, I mean, I can't see him actually playing at all at at cornerback this year, but I yeah, hope I, I do too, just for at least the fun of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, six seven, six players, I think's a very possible. I know I said seven guys. That's kind of just more giving the like those are seven dudes I could see going <laughs> in the first round. They might yeah, not all yeah. get drafted there, but those are seven guys with a great year. Because, uh, I mean, what? We do have four locks at least. I could guarantee one of our DNs goes, one of our offensive tackles goes, and then Alave and Wilson are first-rounders. So that means, as Ohio State fans, we get three more guys in there. I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, look, stranger things have happened. So if it's going to happen to anybody to get seven, I will, I will take it being. And Ohio God, State. you know, just extending that that lead would feel so nice. Yeah, I'll take it. I All will right, take but it. But I think, I think that, I think we'll wrap it up with that. Uh, any final thoughts on today's show? You want to get off your chest? No, I think that's, uh, I think that's good. We covered a lot of ground for our first show together. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens uh, in the future. I hope we didn't run out of topics. For yeah, the next I show. think uh, even retreading some of these with better thoughts is always something I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that. yeah, I mean, follow uh, Matt on Twitter. I believe it's BWW Matt. Uh, he's bringing all things Buckeyes yep. and few other of his interests as well as mine. Uh, yeah, lots yeah, of other so, things. Yeah, uh, great follow. Uh, follow me and the show, Chris Rennie CFB on Twitter and Buck Off Pond for all show updates and all things Ohio State. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. I'm really excited. This was I felt like a fun show to go off with uh, the first Land Grant Holy Land show. 
Uh, you guys are going to yeah. be able to find this show uh, to tell your friends. Just go to the website, go to the podcast link, uh, and then it'll be there for you. So uh, it's not hard. So if you're the first one of my friends to listen to it, make sure you tell everybody because not everyone sees my tweets. <laughs> and let's have some fun. And make sure you listen to everybody else's. Uh, stick to sports. Uh, hang out in the Holy Land. We've got a good group of people trying to provide the best content they can. That's kind of the final thought I wanted to have. It's going to be a lot of fun working with you guys on all things. So, uh, I, I used to always end the shows with OHs. I don't know if I'm still going to do that. It's a little cheesy. Yeah, uh, look, I will. this is something about me. I am not a, uh, a, a synchronized spelling fan. Like, I'm fine with it in the stadium, but even when I wear Ohio State stuff out, like, around town here in Orlando, if someone says OH to me, I'll say it. But, like, that just seems, I don't know, it seems cheesy. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not my that's not my vibe of yeah fan. all right although go bucks i'm good with go bucks though all right so let's let's go bucks right <laughs> all right yeah we'll, we'll see you guys next friday